Welcome to the Milk and Motherhood podcast, where we're having an ongoing conversation about breastfeeding, postpartum, parenthood, the challenges these can present, and the hope we have for overcoming them. I'm your host, Therese Dansby. I'm a registered nurse, international board-certified lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. I believe that navigating the rough waters of early motherhood with wisdom, grace, and humility can grow each of us into the mothers we long to be. Today I'm interviewing Amber Trueblood. Amber is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a best-selling author, speaker, and mother to four sons. Her experience and expertise in the field of mental health began 25 years ago and includes providing community-focused psychological services, private therapy for individual clients, group workshops, and personal wellness retreats. Amber lives in San Diego, California with her husband, Jamie, their cat, Andy, and all four of their musically talented, bug-loving, skateboarding sons. All right. Welcome back to the Milk and Motherhood podcast. Today I'm here with Amber Trueblood, and she is an author, and we are going to talk about unflustered motherhood. I'm very flustered today, so we'll see how this goes. Perfect. I'm Amber Trueblood. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also mom to four boys. Right now, they are 10, 12, 14 and 15. And I always have to kind of look up in a way when I say their ages, because they keep having (laughs) birthdays and it keeps changing on me. And it's difficult to remember at all times because they keep growing. So, and I work with flustered moms, overwhelmed moms, anxious moms to help give them practical strategies, realistic strategies that will actually work and don't feel like it's adding to your, oh gosh, now I have to do this. Now I'm going to add this to my list. Like these are all strategies that might be, you know, tricky to implement at first, but they're very simple and they're effective. And so what I want for moms is to find the strategies that work best for them so that they can actually use them and feel better, feel calmer, feel more clear, feel more confident so that they can really show up for themselves and for the rest of their family in a way that feels good to them. Yeah, I love that. I am one of four kids also, and I never understood why my mom couldn't remember our birth dates sometimes, or even our names. And now I have, I only have three kids, but three was the turning point for me. I'm like, I, when is, when were you born? I don't know. What is your name? Right. Who are you again? Exactly. <laughs> and I love you all dearly, but my brain is scrambled right now. <laughs> and I love your mission because there, there are a lot of shoulds. I feel like even in the nine years that I've been parenting, like my kids pick up right where yours end. I feel like (laughs) this continuation of like nine and six and one. And there are a lot of shoulds out there. And with social media, it's like, oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Like total decision fatigue. It's so true. And so there's some things that you could do to really check in with yourself first, right? Mm -hmm. Or two, you are to, and that's why I love to share, like I have the flourish quiz. I have a super sense quiz. I have all of these things to help you really like reconnect. Like what do I like again? What's important to me? What? Mm-hmm. Because it's really easy to get swayed when the people, not just even social media, but like your mother-in-law or your neighbor mm-hmm. workers, like, oh my gosh, I have this new diet. Oh my gosh. I have this new supplement. Oh my gosh. I'm doing this new meditation. Oh my gosh. I'm doing this new workout, whatever it is. And it's easy to get excited. Like, I want to feel like I want the result that she has. So I'm going to try that. 
And sometimes that's beautiful. Other times it doesn't work. And then we beat ourselves up afterwards, which is the opposite of what we want for everybody, right? So if you just take a little step in between and check in, like, oh, actually, I've tried something like that before and it didn't work. And it made me feel more like, you know, a failure because I tried it and it didn't help me like it helped her. So instead, you know, I want women and moms to feel really secure about understanding, oh, actually, that's amazing. I'm so glad that's working for you. It doesn't really work for me. I do this and this instead, and it's fabulous. So let's all support each other in finding the tools that work independently and individually. I think that is a major theme of everybody that I end up interviewing here because we talk a lot about matrescence and I'm a nurse. So there's a nursing theory called maternal role attainment, where you learn by watching and making decisions based off of what other people are doing, but attaining the maternal role, the ownership of it, the last step is making the decisions that are right for you based on what you know about yourself and your child. And I think it takes a long time to learn that. And I think you relearn it with every kid too. 100%. Yeah. And as you get older too, like Mm -hmm. I think by elder, like I'll be 49 this year. And, you know, there's definitely things that I know about myself in these last 10 years that seems so ridiculously clear now, (laughs) but for all of my thirties and all of, you know, before that was like a mystery, you know, (laughs) I'll be 38 when this airs and same, I mean, like when I was a new mom versus now, and you have to grow into that. I mean, you can't just become that overnight. It wouldn't work. Yeah. Exactly. So you're a counselor, but you're also an author. How did that transition happen? So I am, when you talk about like being true and honest with ourselves, I am impatient. And I don't say that as a derogatory word. I just, and I'm achievement junkie, which jokingly like sounds derogatory, but I like to get things done. I like to accomplish things. I like to have big goals. I like to, I like things to happen fast and now, (laughs) which sometimes serves me. And I love that about myself. And other times I have to kind of check myself on it and question, okay, would timing be better later? Does everything have to be right now? So in that, I felt that my drive to become a therapist in the first place came from this deep desire to help people to feel like I could make a positive difference in other people's lives. And I loved psychology. And so I was naturally drawn to, wow, like our mindset affects so much. How can we learn strategies to shift our mindset, to shift our physiological response to what's happening? Because we can't, unfortunately, I'm also, I would love to control all sorts of things, (laughs) but I can't, you know? And so how then do we learn the skills ourselves so that we can deal with whatever it is that might come up in the healthiest way possible? So what I found when I was doing one-on-one therapy, I found it really frustrating because I was helping one person at a time. I had four little kids at the time. So getting, just paying for childcare, the logistics and the costs involved with keeping up a private practice sort of. Mm -hmm. approach to helping people was not serving me personally because it felt like too little, too slow, too few people. 
and logistically and financially didn't make sense for my family at the time. So I kind of had some faith, like, okay, at some point I'm going to figure this out. Like, how am I going to help more people? And a few years ago, we ended up going as a family on this mute tour. It's a, this is a whole nother podcast worth of, <laughs> of story here, but my kids are musicians and two of them were cast in a Broadway show. And we decided to kind of take a hiatus and we all went on the road with this Broadway show, all six of us for what ended up being 16 months. Mm-hmm. And I wrote my first book, Stretch Marks, mm-hmm. while we were on that tour. And I found that my love of learning, my love of writing, my love, I'm obsessed with books and this really deep internal drive to help other people all kind of solidified and came together. And I thought, oh, lovely. This is perfect. I love books. I learn from books. I want to teach people through books. So I wrote my first book and then I realized, oh, busy, overwhelmed mom. <laughs> have time to sit. So I do write my books as resource guide. Mm-hmm. You just open to any page. Oh, good. And be helpful. And I realized, oh, you have to have courses. You have to have a website, you have mm-hmm. a YouTube channel because not everybody obtains their information in the same way. And I want, if I want to reach a wide array of moms, then these are all of the different types of resources that I need to pull together. So I've spent the last several years doing just that. Yeah, I resonate with a lot of this because I also like achievements and accomplishments. And I kind of joke that I used to be type A until I had kids. And now I'm like a type C plus, like... <laughs> You just have to let things go. And often I'm not even letting go. They're like getting pride out of my hands. (laughs) And motherhood does not, you don't get like an annual performance review. You don't get a raise. You don't, and you can't base your performance on your kid's behavior either because they're their own people. And so it is like, hey, if I have like a work achievement over here, a little part of my brain needs that. 100%. It it doesn't override the importance of my role as a mother, but I'm in that similar place with three kids, childcare, homeschooling. Where's that balance of work (laughs) and parenting that benefits my mental health, benefits other people because I'm a lactation consultant. So I work one-on-one with moms and yeah, it's again, yeah, a whole podcast episode on itself too. And I do have to say, and I know we're going to talk about the unflustered mom later in the podcast, but that's my new book is the framework for it is these five anxiety styles. One side, you know, being called the anxiety style and the flip side of that is, is this really also your flourish type, right? Because often in some capacities, what isn't serving us over here is also our superpower that we want to acknowledge and celebrate. So in that, In each chapter that hones in on each of the five, have 30 second strategies to lift your mood, reset your nervous system, raise your vibe, and 10 minute strategies and 30 minute strategies. And at the end, then there's a whole slew of strategies for, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, and annually even. So when you say like, oh my gosh, you're doing lactation consultant, you have three children, you're working from home, you're homeschooling, like, uh, and you have your own, you know, psychological, emotional, physical <laughs> relationship <laughs> and social needs to boot, which often go out the window, especially when you mm-hmm. have a, tiny ones, there are little things that you can do that really make a big impact. And I think that was one of the things I wish I had known when I had my little ones is 
I thought, okay, so I just have to wait like 10 or 20 years <laughs> to like do all of these things again. Holy mackerel. And so a lot of the strategies I share are a big bang for your buck. You mm -hmm. add this tiny thing that literally takes 30 seconds or this thing that takes five minutes. And I'll show you like how to implement it and where well, it, like it makes such a huge difference, like more than you would anticipate. Cause you're like, how could just one little thing have completely changed my week? Like it makes sense. It's not logical. It's not like when you add it up on paper, you can't like the math doesn't add up. You practice it. And then you look back, you realize, holy mal, like, holy moly. I keep wanting to curse. Holy <laughs> mackerel. That makes a big difference. Yeah. I, I was looking for these kind of strategies in my first few years of motherhood. And I think it's funny that you said nervous system reset because we actually, my colleague and I have a breastfeeding course and a postpartum course. And in the postpartum course, we do have like a principal PDF that is a nervous system reset. And it yeah. kind of goes, it actually goes through some of the senses. So I'm really excited to talk with you about that because I was like, we're on the same way, same wavelength here. But some of it is like something silly, like bite into a lemon or drink some black coffee or take some digestive bitters. Like you're like, why would that make my day different? But yeah, exactly. when, when I remember, <laughs> I always have a little pack of gum mm -hmm. next because your nervous system thinks if you're eating that you're not being chased by tigers. Right. So <laughs> yeah. like, because, so then your body tells your brain, Oh, okay. You're safe. You can like have the blood go back to your internal organs, back to mm -hmm. your, your, into your brain. You can oxygenate and not, you don't have to worry about your muscles being ready to fight because you just told your brain that you're actually eating something, even though you're just chewing gum. You know, I love neuro hacks like that. Yeah. Let's jump into kind of, you have a sensory quiz and I'll put your quizzes in the show notes so people can find them, but can you talk about, you call it like super senses, right? Yeah. That's how you approach it. I do. So I love this because it's simple, right? And as mm -hmm. soon as you hear yours, you're going to be like, oh yes, I do highly recommend taking the quiz though. But my house, so I have four boys, they play music, is really loud in my house a lot. And so I would have thought, I mean, and I wrote the dang quiz, I would have thought, okay, mm -hmm. I'm auditory for sure. Like, so your super senses, the one that you are, you're more triggered by, you know, you tend to be more sensitive to than those around you. And you also get more pleasure from that particular sense than those people around you, right? I would have thought if you just asked me, I said, oh, I'm definitely auditory. I talk all the time. I'm very sensitive to noise and loud sounds, but I'm visual. Now I'm, everybody's a little bit of everything, right? So, mm -hmm. but I predominantly visual. And when I enacted the emotional strategies for the visual super sensor, it helped me a ton. So mm -hmm. I'll give an, so, so by that I say, take the quiz because it might be a little bit different than you think. And those strategies might be a little bit more powerful. So the strategies for each of these, you know, will depend on if you're looking to lift your mood, like if you're looking to, if you need some energy, right? So do you have a guess what you are? And I'll use that as an example. You know, yeah, I took the other quiz and I didn't take this one, but I was thinking about it earlier before we got on the call. I, I'm tempted to also say auditory because I get very overwhelmed by noise. My one-year-old is in the phase where he just says mama because it gets him anything he wants. 
He doesn't have any other words, just mama all day long. And uh, yeah, by the end of the day, I'm, and this is horrible. I am hearing impaired and I will take my hearing aids out. I can totally still hear them. I'm so jealous. I know. I'm so yeah. jealous. <laughs> but I think it drives my husband crazy. So. I mean, it's mean, I know it's, but I am so jealous because I wish they had anti-hearing aids, like the mm-hmm. opposite you know, where I could just yeah. turn it down a little bit. And I've made jokes about that. And here I've met yeah. you now. And- I think that they do. They have headphones. I mean, I get them in my Instagram ads that are yeah. like noise dimming headphones, not right. noise blocking. So headphones. I have some, I have, and then I have these things called calm audio flares, just mess with the, the wavelengths. They're not electric mm. and they don't really block the sound, but they do something to clean up the hmm. things. Okay. I understand the science of it. So, but it was 20 bucks and I was like, I'm going to try it. I'm just going to try it and see if I notice a difference. I was less reactive, like viscerally, like to mm. things that week that I tried it. So I thought, okay, if it's working, I don't care. So I'm all about testing something yeah. and just how do I feel and using it for as long as I find value. So for instance, if we take auditory as an example, you're mm. going to use, you're going to have at the ready things and easy things for you to call on that either help calm you, help energize you, help refuel you emotionally. So music is a big one for auditory people, right? So if you have playlists and you have them set up now, I don't have the patience to go through and dig through playlists and I forget the names of songs I like. So, but everybody has one or two people that are have like 30 playlists, right? So, or even in in a mom's group that you're in on Facebook, say, hey, does anybody have a Spotify playlist that they Mm -hmm. love for this and this? The thing I would recommend specifically that you might not have heard before when it comes to music and lifting your mood through music is I always recommend to people to choose songs that they loved between the ages of 14 and 24. Your brain, as you know, as a nurse was like most neuroplastic during those ages and the movies they that we see, the relationships we have, the music that we hear during those years gets like embedded in us mm-hmm. different emotional way than a song you liked a couple years ago. So I highly recommend to keep that in mind as you're making your playlists or ask other people your same age what their playlists are. And you're more likely going to find songs that you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this song. I love this song. <laughs> Lift your mood. Same thing. Like if you're in the shower, I'll now use that while I'm in the shower and I'll put on a playlist and, or I asked one of my kids to make me one. So they have like mm-hmm. a Mom jams playlist that they made for me with all eighties <laughs> and nineties hip hop music. <laughs> so inappropriate. I can't play it in front of the kids. It's, you know, <laughs> But it moves me. I love it. And so I'll put that on when I'm in the shower. And here's another strategy that's not really specific to super senses, but see how many songs you can stay in the shower for, because we get really good at like efficiently doing all the things and we jump out. And if you notice, it's still on the first song. Like I'm going to give myself at least two songs. Mm -hmm. Bonus if you stay in for three songs, because (laughs) that's tremendous. So you're going to want to, you know, neutralize the sounds that are coming in when you're feeling already depleted in your day, like going ahead and taking out the hearing aid, right? Mm -hmm. Putting on earphones or putting in earplugs or putting on a sound machine. And then you're going to want to use music 
or other sounds that you love, right? To uplift your mood. So the same thing with, you know, super smellers, for instance, you might want to have yummy smelling lotion around candles, even, I mean, there's so many things, anything that you love that smells and you want to also have like maybe the windows open while you're cooking, any sort of smells that might viscerally hurt, you know, not hurt you, but, you know, lower your threshold emotionally, you're going to want to minimize those. If you're a super Mm -hmm. taster, keeping mints and gum around and a toothbrush and toothpaste in your bag is helpful. If you are a visual person and you have kids like your audience here, you have, I don't know how many loads of laundry I have on my sofa right now. So when I don't have time to attend to them, I will either put them back into the laundry baskets. Like this is a clean basket. This is a dirty basket. Or I will take a blanket, like a thin blanket and just cover it a neutral, like a neutral plain blanket and just cover it until I can deal with it. So this is, you know, really proactively lowering the amount of visual stimuli in your environment. So right now behind my computer, I have a bunch of post-its. If I'm feeling overwhelmed, boom, like all those post-its go out of view, clear my desk, you know, even if it's something that you find visually pleasing normally, like pictures on the wall, throw pillows of different colors and patterns. If you are having a week or a day where you're just really feeling activated and overwhelmed, your patience is wearing thin, you're yelling more than normal, you're crying at the drop of a hat, maybe you have your hormones are really up in the air this day or this week, that's when you want to just proactively take some care, take some things off the walls, throw them into a closet, under a bed, under the sofa. It's super simple and it makes a really big difference. So I have two areas in the kitchen that I clean off first thing because the mess of them makes me crazy. But if I stopped and cleaned up every mess between my bedroom and my office, I'd never get here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would not arrive. It'd be time to go back to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the visual clutter is like, for whatever reason, the third kid has been the tipping point for me too. It used to not bother me that much. And with the third kid, it's really getting to me too. And I think you're right. There is that overwhelm of like, I need to become a minimalist, but that, that would take months. And that's not including the interruptions from daily well, parenting. Children would have to move out. Like, I don't know yeah, well, that too. And where, where, where do you put them? Like, and all yeah, that. yeah, that too. But I am starting to, now that we're sleeping a little bit more, most nights just, okay, I can't do it all, but I can do 10 minutes of like, like I'm looking at my desk right now it's all the papers and I can do 10 minutes of just tidying them up like it's not perfectly clean I threw some stuff away a lot of it I still need to go through but yeah if I can minimize just the clutter and the other thing I'm learning about myself I'm so ready for it to warm up here in Nebraska but going outside because even if we're in whatever a place with a bunch of sticks and leaves like it's not a mess that affects me and it's not my responsibility and we can all just enjoy being outside. So that has helped me a lot too. There's so many benefits to going outside, looking at nature, breathing in nature, grounding yourself in nature. I mean, it is, it's so impactful. Even if you're in a high rise and the weather's terrible, looking outside for 10 minutes a day is, and not just like at man-made things, but looking at non-man-made things and really unplugging while you do that and noticing like one of the mindfulness meditations 
I walk people through is like noticing the tiniest like bug on the ground or leaf mm-hmm. on that tree over there or you know the what's the subtlest sound you can hear so not like the cars driving but what's like the like way in the distance you hear this like funky bird calling and really tuning into the like the slightest sensory input on each of your five senses helps bring you into the present moment in a huge way and relaxes your nervous system as well. So that's another Mm -hmm. nice way to kind of reset yourself. Yeah. That reminds me of one that a grounding exercise that my counselor told me about a few years ago where it was, I don't think it really matters which number is which, but it was like name five things that you can see four things that you can hear and three. Yeah. And it's great to do things that you can feel like it's a great way to teach them through even modeling yourself say oh my gosh mom's feeling like (laughs) super stressed right now or whatever you know you don't want to drop those words all the time with them you could say like oh I'm feeling like kind of yucky inside and a little upset will you do this with me I learned this new thing today okay Mm -hmm. so help me and get them in on it like a game and I also like like I like teaching our kids those skills but I find even more powerful is doing it in front of them like because they want to be grownups, right? They want to do what you do. And so for instance, I meditate every morning and every night. I've never told my kids, hey, I think you should meditate. But they know it's something I do. And I will stop and be like, okay, I'm going to go meditate now. And I'm creating this like, wow, this is a tool that she must find really valuable because it's become a non-negotiable for me. That's a great point too. Yeah, my and my older kids are definitely big enough to... A, pick up on my moods, and B, I think all ages pick yeah. up on our moods. But in the womb, right? In the they, womb. Yeah, and they can verbalize it now, though. They're like, mama is cranky. What am I? My son said something so ridiculous the other day, and I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> I am incredibly humbled in this moment, and you're right. I am very cranky, or whatever the word that he yeah. used. So, yeah. And yeah. ask say, huh, okay, I need to check in then, like, did I eat something? Like, have I drink any water today? Did I go outside today? You know, and even like going through that verbal checklist out loud with them then teaches them because there are going to be times when they're super cranky and you're like, Hey, so honey, did you eat anything? I know we put out lunch, but like who ate what? Oh no, I got distracted. And then when I came back, everybody was done. Okay. That's like, that's a problem. Let's figure that out. Yeah. My middle child, went. she went through a phase this winter where she wouldn't eat lunch and then she would be a mess by dinner. And we would just say like, your blood sugar is low. Like you need to eat something. And she'd be like, my blood sugar is not low. <laughs> We're just like looking at each other, trying to not laugh because she's very clearly off the rails. <laughs> right. And you, but you don't want to hear that in the moment. Like we don't know either. No. Like, yes. Somebody being like, Oh, you're like crying right now because I said something about your shoes. No, are you on your period? And you're like, oh, how dare you? How dare you? And then the yeah. next day you're like, yep, I started my period the next yes. day. Like, <laughs> yes. And your feelings are valid. <laughs> but also once you get out of the depths of them, there are things that you can do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that I'm going to go take that quiz and I will put it in the links because I think it is really helpful. And like you said, just to have those things on hand, digestive bitters are a really big thing for me. Like, yes, they help my digestion, but that bitter taste, like kind of just taste your nervous system out of whatever it's dealing with. 
That's a beautiful one. I'm going to add that to my, yeah. to my toolbox. Yeah. So let me look through my questions. Yeah. Here. Where do you want to go next? We could go so many yeah. places. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about mood as it relates to food, sleep, and hormones. Cause you kind of mentioned that's a very big category, but you mentioned that's something you'd like to talk about with new moms. Yeah. I mean, with new moms, I feel like we get down to basics, right? Sleeping enough. Are you eating enough? Are your basic human needs met? And this is also social time with other women. So that, that I call a basic one. That's a really pivotal one for most women. And it's not just social interactions with any women, right? Because some are going to leave you feeling wonderful and some are going to leave you feeling more depleted. So being conscious and, and aware of that is really important as well. So first I want to say, because it's easy to beat ourselves up. Oh, I know I should get more sleep. Oh, I know I'm doing this. There's a reason you're doing that instead of sleeping. So let's figure that out. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, when we first have, and I think I start the book with this story, which is, you know, when you have a baby that you're carrying, what you eat, the baby eats, right? When you rest, well, the baby then wakes up and jumps around, but you know, your needs are directly satisfied. Their needs are directly satisfied by your needs. They're interrelated. As soon as the baby's out of your body, then all of a sudden meeting your needs isn't directly helping the baby always that way it is, but we don't see it that way. And meeting the baby's needs often comes at the sacrifice of your own needs, right? Waking up to meet the baby's needs in the middle of the night sacrifices your sleep, right? So it, it becomes all of a sudden, shoot, me or the baby, right? And because we like them and we just grew them and we're in love with them, we take care of the baby first, right? Which is very natural. So it makes sense that we do this from the beginning. However, as time goes on, A, there's only so long you can keep that up, right? Without completely falling apart. And then we're not meeting the baby's needs either. And the babies become toddlers, become little kids, become nine-year-olds who can do a lot more for themselves. It's learning how to meet our needs more responsibly every month, every few months, like meeting our needs. Am I sleeping? What can, how can I shift? So in early parenthood, it's about how can you benefit your sleep? And I, one of the things I, I have is this program called Outsmart Overwhelm. And it's like a $97 program. That's all about like, here's what you want to do five minutes in the morning. Here's what you want to do five minutes a night. Here's what, you know, and the just very like, here's the bare minimum so that you can sleep better at night. So, and in that, I think it's in that one sleep tips, you know, mm -hmm. so very simple, like how dark is your bedroom? the temperature of your bedroom, right? So having it slightly cooler than you're comfortable with, even just a couple of degrees is known to impact your sleep positively, right? You probably talk about this with moms a lot. You know, noise, how you're protecting the noise level in your sleep. Are you letting people know? So anyway, so I have like my nine favorites like that, that are very simple things that you can add up. I also think, I also like with no judgment, want everybody to ask themselves here, what are you doing the last 10 minutes before you go to sleep at night? And then I don't even have to hear the answer. Just answer <laughs> the next question. Do you think that's serving? Is that serving your sleep, your quality of sleep? Is it serving your emotional state? Because these are interrelated, right? So if you can replace that 
because my guess is your answers are going to be maybe <laughs> not. If you can replace that with a simple meditation practice, that could be a breathing exercise. It could be a gratitude practice. It could be a little positive visualization thing. It could be a guided meditation. Anything where you're quiet, quieting your mind, you're getting focused on the present moment. You're quieting that kind of chaotic brain. You do something that's grounding. So that could be taking a shower or something around. It could be just drinking water. It could be going outside barefoot. And you do something that's uplifting emotionally. So it could be a quick, I'm going to think of one very small, specific thing I'm grateful for that happened today. So you want to get into a state of gratitude, ground yourself, quiet your mind before bed. The more practiced you get in that too, the quicker you can get in that zone. So what might take you tonight, if you try like 20 minutes of like blah, struggling with it and getting there you can get to the point where you can do it in five minutes and you're just zoom. Wow. I just, cause you teach your brain, right? You're teaching your system how to calm itself. So it's a practice. It's a skill that you can build. And then you will find your sleep. Like I didn't sleep well for about 11 years. <laughs> and I thought this is just it. I was taking more and more sleep aids. It wasn't helping, but I was so petrified of not sleeping well the next night that I went from like those like melatonin -y gummies to then like over-the-counter stuff to then prescription stuff to then like three months straight of taking Ambien mm -hmm. to which one of my like friends who's a PA was like, you're not supposed to don't do that. <laughs> like that mm -hmm. is stop it. And I did, I immediately stopped it. And it wasn't until I did a transcendental meditation training. I got certified in it. And the very first day I practiced it, I slept through the night without a sleep aid and haven't since in three <laughs> and a half years, four and a half years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I had a period in my life also where, and it was Xanax and that's embarrassing to say, because this is generally a very holistic well, podcast but I mean? it was a horribly traumatic life season and I had two young children and I wasn't sleeping and like I got three hours of sleep with this you know it wasn't even all night but but then I went to a week-long like healing trauma workshop and I came home and I slept through the night amazing oh I got you and chills. That's yeah beautiful. And, you know, and that's after months of, like you said, buying all of the supplements, all the herbs, trying all of the, cutting out all the foods, you know, and it's like, and now then I came home from that with more tools. And one of them was like, just as simple as at night, you journal right now I'm feeling, and it can be like two sentences. It doesn't have to be sorting out all of your feelings. <laughs> you know, it's like right now I am feeling really grateful that this day is over. Totally valid answer. Close the journal you know, put it away. Or, you know, right now I'm feeling like so grateful because, you know, this kid did this thing today and it was so happy or it's warm outside and we got to spend time outside and it does make a big difference. And even just keeping those promises to yourself makes a big difference. Like it doesn't really matter what the tool is if you're consistently doing it. Yeah. Your body goes into that mode it knows what to expect next. And it's a little and I, easier. I'd to love sleep. to say to your audience too, that when you find what works for you, first, you got to be open to trying different things, right? Give it a shot. When you try something and it, and you see the benefits, 
very soon the benefits become so obvious to you. This has been my experience, at least that it becomes self, it becomes easier and easier to implement because it's a no brainer to you. Like I feel so much better. I show up so much better in my life, like how I want to show up that I see clearly how it's benefiting my kids. So I don't have the guilt of saying, Hey guys, we're shutting down bedtime reading early tonight because it's getting late and I'm going to run out of time for my meditation. I tell my kids that all the time. I still read to them every night, the two younger ones. It's one of the things that I really enjoy and they enjoy it. And so there are times when they're still running around, it's nine o'clock and I'm like, Hey guys, we're going to run out of reading time. If we don't start very soon, I mean, every night I feel like I say that and because I, you know, I don't want to miss out on that time. However, I also know that I need and want to give myself that gift, that benefit of having my nighttime routine. And I think that sometimes the negative reinforcement is what, because sometimes I'll start things and I'll think this isn't really helping. And then I'll get out of the routine for a few days and just wonder what, why is today so much harder? And then I'll realize, oh, like this is the season I'm in right now. I'm like, oh, I didn't do that thing for three nights in a row. Or, you know, I didn't take five minutes for myself at the start of nap time or, oh, I woke up and squirreled on my phone before I did anything else. Like, I hope that I continue to course correct sooner and sooner, but still sometimes getting off track reminds you that something is working, you know? And we can set reminders. So in the Unflustered Mom, I have the readers put together their own emotional, emergency emotional support plan. And so Mm. it's like here, when you're feeling good and when you're feeling clear, you set this up, you choose these three, you choose these three, you choose these three. And you also notice what your triggers are. So I, you know, there's also, like you said, like if you catch yourself, oh man, that's the second time, like I cursed at my, you know, what at some random driver on the road today. Mm-hmm. I don't normally do that. Like, what are your triggers that you, that are keys to you? Something's off. I need to dip into my ESP, my emergency emotional support plan tools that I already printed out and I have up here on the wall, mm-hmm. have on my phone, or I, you know, or I put them in the bathroom where my toothbrush is because you know what, actually I want to do them every day because it helps me every day. So, so I also have people be aware of like, oh, I do this, or I start eating junk food late at night when I'm feeling emotionally stressed, or I start ordering stuff on Amazon, or I find myself scrolling on certain platforms and like commenting on all sorts of (laughs) stuff. So like, what are your triggers? What are the actions that you do that indicate to you something's off? You need a little emotional support. Oh man. Yeah. True confessions, which I feel like is what this interview is. I, (laughs) I know that I'm in a bad place when I'm scrolling Instagram and I see someone talk about their baby sleeping through the night and I'm like devising all sorts of passive aggressive comments in my head. (laughs) And because my kid, none of my kids have slept through the night before 15 months of age. And I'm like, okay, time to get off Instagram for a few days. (laughs) Right. Or even so like time to what, what else is lacking? How can you yeah. support yourself in other ways that you don't even feel that you can look at that and go, just roll your eyes and move on. Yeah. Then and most of the time to- I can, but yeah, I'm like, I know I'm in a bad place when 
yeah I'm suddenly stewing on those comments so yeah I love the idea of a of an emergency plan but yeah you have to practice it in a non-emergency state to be able to enact it well in an emergency state so Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a nine-year-old when you're already in tears because mm-hmm. so hungry that, and you're, you know, I my blood sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, my husband listens to all these interviews. <laughs> I love you, but he will sometimes when one of the kids melts down, like try to talk logic. And I think there's always one partner that's more likely to do that, but I'm like, you got to wait till the tantrum's over. <laughs> Yeah. And then but nobody any, ever calms down when you tell them to calm down. Right. What's the, especially kids are like, no, you don't understand. You're not understanding because you're trying to talk me out of it. So first we have yeah. to understand you are so angry right now. You're so frustrated right now. You're so, you know, it's just reflecting back. And then they're like, yeah. all right, you get what I'm trying to say. And then yes. later after they eat a banana, you know, then they can hear the next part. Hey, yes. I feel that way too. Sometimes, you know, what helps me when I do it is when I eat a bigger lunch. Cause I notice <laughs> don't eat lunch get like that too. And it feels lousy. Yeah. And I think, I mean, let's pivot into mom's <laughs> needs because I feel like that is a huge thing that again, like I said, you feel your feelings and they're valid in the moment, but then you can look back on your day and say like, I, you know, I could do that better. So you based your anxiety styles off of Maslow's hierarchy, which kind of piqued my interest right away because I thought that was fascinating back in nursing school. And for people who aren't familiar with it, do you think I haven't jotted down to you? I wanted to go through them because when I took your quiz, I thought it was hilarious that my styles went in like the the inverse in the order so like my biggest one was like the fighter and then my second was the executive the third was the lover and it might be indicative of the stage of life I'm in so I was going to ask you that are these personality styles or are they like how you're coping with your life circumstances right now that's a really good question so first I want to say that the anxiety styles unlike the hierarchy which is kind of like if you're not aware it's like a pyramid and it says Mm -hmm. that and it's very hierarchical it means you know, when Maslow put this forth, he was like, you know, you people generally need to have the needs satisfied in the tier lower before you're concerned about the next tier. So the first one is like really basic needs, right? Do you have shelter? Do you have food? Are you safe? Those kind of, I mean, safety is the second one, but, and it goes up from there to like self-actualization. Like, am I here on <laughs> earth it, doing what I, what's in my purpose? You know, are my actions aligned with what I truly think is so important? And Unlike Maslow's hierarchy, the anxiety styles are not hierarchical. There's no like, oh, you go from this one to this one throughout life. They're not developmentally like, or situationally impacted. It's more of a deeper value-related personality style of, you know, this is what I'm mostly driven by. This is what really fuels me, supports me. And on the same, you know, on the reverse part of the coin is, when I don't have this in my life, it's, you know, nothing else matters. This is what's really important to me. So that the five are lover, fighter, visionary, dynamo, and executive. And the fighter, interestingly enough, I switched it a little bit because in the hierarchy, the bottom one was one that, you know, we don't really have most of the people that are buying self-help books 
have their basic fundamental needs met. They're not. So I wanted to make sure that I had five styles that really applied. And as I started developing the concept for this book, the fighter came out and I thought, oh, that's the one that's missing because what I see, and you all probably know this, so I'll describe fighter first. So fighters are people who tend to label themselves as survivors, right? With a sense of pride, like they tend to step in when they see injustice or bullying or something that's just not okay, right? They will move toward that and get involved. So you might know you're a fighter if your loved ones say like, why are you even getting involved in that? That's nothing to do with you. That might indicate that you're a fighter. You tend to step in and protect the people around you. Now, often fighters are people who early in their life had trauma, that they didn't have somebody sticking up for them and protecting them, that they had you know, basic safety needs that were not met. And so now in life, it's like, that's not okay. When I see that happen, I am stepping forward. Even if it's scary, even if it's uncomfortable, they will tend to lean inward toward that. They tend to be very comfortable in chaotic situations, in emergency situations, in change, in the moment, dealing with difficult things because they're, they tend to be accustomed to it, right? So in some ways, that's beautiful and that has served you and that's tremendous. In other ways, it may not be serving you anymore, meaning you might have a pattern of you know, working, making good money, and then something happens and you're broke again and you're struggling with money and you have this up and down pattern with money or this up and down pattern with relationships. I keep picking these people. And I think this next one is like going to be amazing. And then we're struggling with the same thing and it goes up and down and up and down. So you're kind of recreating, not consciously, this chaotic environment instead of getting comfortable with peace and happiness and feeling worthy of this. Now, sometimes that feels boring, right? <laughs> to these people, mm -hmm. how do you purposely create excitement in your life instead of letting it come to you, right? Mm -hmm. There's ways we don't want to like change that part of your personality because it's, I don't know that it's possible and it's beautiful, but how do we give you more control and purpose in it? So that's kind of, I've went way into way more detail on the fighter than I meant to, but. No, I love that. I mean, and since that was the one that came up for me first, I'm like, yep. Um, yeah, it does. And I think that there, one thing that I learned in my own trauma recovery was my counselor just threw this quote out, but it was like a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. She said, when, when you become your own mama bear, you can take your safety anywhere. And because many of us can tune into that for our kids, you know, and we cannot tune into it for ourselves. And so I think that you're right. It's like a weakness, especially if you're getting involved in something that does not involve you <laughs> or you're getting overly involved in your kid's life, like trying to make their life entirely perfect and problem free. And, and, you know, you're just extending all of your energy outward, but if you also care for yourself in that same way, it can be a superpower, especially mm -hmm. because maybe you haven't had people care for you in that same way. And you can provide that security to yourself in a sense. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, so the anxiety styles are all about helping yourself to understand your needs, your triggers, your patterns, identifying then where they're serving you 
and taking a minute to really acknowledge and celebrating that. So like lovers are all about their interactions with other humans in their life that they care about, feeling wanted, feeling liked, feeling loved, feeling belonging. And so, you know, you might be somebody who, when you see that some of your girlfriends got together last week and nobody, like nobody gave you the heads up, like not only is that a bummer, but you spiral with it. Was one of them mad at me? What did I do? Or what, you know, what did they, you know, are they talking about me? You know, then you really, you know, it hurts you deep and you can't get over it. You can't get through it. Or you have trouble addressing it. So lovers really first and foremost are their relationships with other people. And kind of the life lesson there is, so we're fighters, for instance, the life lesson is like, how, how do I feel comfortable with a trauma-free life of just like ease and happiness and joy and feel worthy of that, right? The lover, the lesson, the life lesson for the lover is how do I feel worthy and loved for myself, regardless of what anybody else does or says or invites me to, right? Mm -hmm. Do I get that from within? It's not to say that your relationships won't always be the most important thing to you, but how do I feel worthy from within instead of with extent outside surfaces reasons? The dynamo is all about achievement, right? About the future, right? About what's next and achieving, doing, going, checking stuff off of lists, right? So you might know you're a dynamo if you will add something to your to-do list that you already finished just mm -hmm. so you can check it off and feel that sense of I do this all the time so I'm a dynamo and so dynamos you know one of the life lessons is how do I feel worthy and enough now as is everything else is bonus you can still keep doing till the cows come home but how is that just the frosting on the cake and inward, we truly feel enough and accomplished and loved and worthy, regardless of our achievements and accolades, right? Sure. Or if other people know what we're doing or how many followers or how many listeners or how many this, you know, because so, and how do we really, and then there's strategies, right? To do that. Like, so with dynamos, you really want to break down. Are you celebrating the wins that you had last week? Are you even acknowledge them? Do you just take five minutes to give yourself a pat on the back before saying, like, I had 50 downloads this week. Maybe I can get a hundred next week. Like, it's just, there's always something next, right? Which is beautiful. And where is it maybe like not making you feel good? And how can we add strategies to help there? That's the dynamo. Then there's the executive who feels really most safe and secure when they can plan, know what's coming and organize themselves. It's a lot of weight on truth and honesty and dependability and safety and knowing and planning. And, you know, so you get somebody like that together with, for instance, a fighter and, you know, the fighter says, Hey, good news. Like my best friend from college is coming to stay with us this weekend. And we're going to do this. And we're going to, I know we had these other plans, but we're going to go camping. Even if it's good news, like the executive's going to need a minute <laughs> to say like, oh, wait, like the, even if it's good news, they're not going to necessarily be excited. So I have an entire chapter in the unflustered mom that's dedicated to if you're this and your partner is this, and it could be your romantic partner, your husband, or it could be 
your mother, or it could be your eldest child, or it could be your, you know, your the person that you own your business with, like any two. And and it highlights like, okay, this is where you're going to see eye to eye on them because their future thinking and your future thinking, or you like making decisions from the gut and they like making decisions from the gut. So here's how to connect with them. Here's how you use the language that they're going to get and value. And here's where like, it's not going to be a point of connection, but you can use it to explain, hey, you know how you like to plan things ahead and you really like that? Great. What, the, what, is, what helps me feel safe is this over here you know, and explaining it in a way that they can say, oh, okay, I get that. Because this I don't care about, but this I do. And now that you're acknowledging that I can acknowledge this for you. That's the, which ones did I do? I think I'm missing uh, one. I think you've done, <laughs> hang on, let me get my list. You've done, Lover. oh, the visionary is what you haven't done yet. Okay. So visionary is almost yes. like an extension of, they have a lot in common. And I have like a Venn diagram at each one mm -hmm. kind of overlaps with the two next to them. So visionary is about big dreams, right? It's kind of in the title. So somebody who's focused on the future, they make decisions from their gut, right? From their instinct more. There's a lot of self-trust. There's a lot of not really living in the moment or connecting with what's around them because their eyes and their focus is way down the road. That's what energizes them, right? The little details, I don't need. I don't need the little details. I don't need the little steps. I might want to jump around. And so there are tools for the visionary that can help them better maintain their relationships with the people that you need to support you. Because, you know, on your deathbed, if you're on the cover of Forbes magazine and nobody's around to help you celebrate, it's a little bit, you know, ending there. So what can, what tools can you institute along the way that a help you enjoy your life in the process, like in the process of achieving your big goal and how do you maintain your relationships with your loved ones so that they feel heard and appreciated and understood by you when really your focus that you might prefer to spend time on is, you know, your big dream and what you can do about it. So those are some of the tactics and tools that I like to support with my visionary moms. Yeah. I, and I like that you mentioned too, that these are things to consider with everybody. And it's not that you need to like study it and memorize it, but I think that those are important questions to ask. Like what, what does make your partner feel safe and what's the most important priority to them and what, yeah, like what is what motivates your business partner versus what motivates you? Or I actually, it's, I have, I don't know if you've heard of the happen to have this in front of me the kids flag page have you heard of this it's just a little it's a quiz that you do with your kid and mm -hmm. it is finding out kind of exactly what we're talking about what's important to you what motivates you what makes you happiest and it made my oldest child is like the polar opposite of me and so in it's early motherhood information. yeah I mean in early motherhood I just felt like a total failure because I was like I cannot connect with this kid I don't know like what his motivations are, his day's agenda is like to have a party. Is there a style for that? Like, <laughs> it's like, where are we going today? Who are we seeing? What are we doing? That's fun. Yeah. Like so different than me. Cause I'm like, what, you know, what lover. I wonder if that would be more of a lover because they're more really in the moment, all about the connection with other yeah. people. It's yeah. a more like id based kind of 
in the zone, like not really worrying about the future, yeah. <laughs> how that's going to impact the next step. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's even with looking at other moms, say you're scrolling on Instagram and you're like, man, this probably most of us have one or two people that we probably need to unfollow on Instagram because we feel totally inadequate when we do it right now. Yeah, if exactly. Know, if you already <laughs> yes. know who those are, do it right now. Yes. And that's yeah. a huge way to support your mental health. Yeah. Because that, what, what might make that mom feel safe is like having a minimalist lifestyle. And if every time I scroll past her, like, this is why you need to be a minimalist. And I'm like, I'm never going to be a minimalist. And it's not that something is lacking in me or something is lacking in her, like our priorities are different. And that's exactly why I wrote this book in the first place. Mm -hmm. I did right at the beginning of the epidemic and or pandemic or whatever we're calling it. (laughs) And it was, I saw this, I saw a lot of fear and I saw Mm -hmm. a lot of anger and frustration and fear and fear, I guess that, you know, creating this crevice in, you know, communities, in families, in, you know, countries, in the planet. And what I saw was a lack of compassion And I think that when people can understand where somebody else is coming from, you can have compassion for them. You can have compassion for yourselves and then you can have a conversation and go to the next step. But if you don't have that, you're not going anywhere and it's just getting worse. So that's, so I thought if we could understand why I'm reacting this way, you're reacting that way. Maybe I can have some compassion for myself and compassion for you. And we can actually have a conversation and move forward. And, you know, if, and this happens all the time in couples, you know, something happens and you think, okay, how can you react that way? I don't understand. But when you understand their anxiety style or their flag style or whatever it is, and you think, oh, okay, I know why. And I'm not going to take it personally. They know why. And they're not expecting me to react the same way. We just have a little bit more compassion that this is an issue for me, or this is an issue. And I got a little baggage around this and it's Mm -hmm. okay to be kind to myself about it. And I know that this is what I need to help me feel better. Yeah. And I think that the last three years for sure have exposed, you know, any little weaknesses and cracks and tenuous relationships, just, you know, everything kind of got blown wide open and exposed. Yeah. So, so, and it is great when you can actually, like, I love when people are willing to have those kinds of conversations and not everybody is, and that's also hard to accept, but when people are like, oh, that's where you're coming from. Okay. Like now we can move forward, you know? Also, I highly believe that what you know, thoughts and beliefs, we spend most of our time thinking and believing, we emanate out and you can call it a vibe or frequency or whatever, but it's, it really does attract like-minded, like thinkers. And so if you find yourself, you know, scrolling or seeing other moms at school drop off and then just perseverating on that thought, why does she always do that? She's so rude. She's so this or this is judgy. Oh my God. And then you're talking about it and then you're thinking about it and then you're journaling about it. You really will trust me, end up all of a sudden having two more people like that in your life, (laughs) somebody else. And then you're Mm -hmm. at I was going to say you're at the bank and the teller, I don't know <laughs> who goes to banks and talks to sellers anymore, but whatever, you're at the grocery store and the person in line in front of you is like this. 
and it snowballs. So the more you can focus on the people in your life, the content in your life, the activities in your life that you want more of, and that's why gratitude practices are so powerful, right? Then all of a sudden, like I've been doing this consistently for several years now, and the group of friends that I have in my life now are just the most amazing people that make me feel, help me to feel, that's not why I have them, but the result is I feel loved, I feel accepted, I feel supported, I feel acknowledged, I feel appreciated. Holy mackerel, like it's amazing, but it comes from me shifting first, right? Not just being like, man, this sucks. I want something different, you know? Yeah, and then that's often where it starts, but, and I feel like it's not even, I don't know, just reflecting on this, because we moved right at the beginning of the pandemic too, just like right before it started. So just to add to the chaos. And so I'm kind of making a whole new group of friends and trying to figure all of those things out again in my late thirties. And I don't even know if it's so much like these are the people that you attract or if it's just, this is what you're paying attention to and that you see that what you've worked through in yourself and that you're willing to. True. Yeah. I don't even know if I can put words on it yet, but I think it is interesting. And it's hard to hear those things because I definitely had a period in my life where I was like, I am desperate for friends. And I like, couldn't the few people in my life. Yeah. not alone. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you, I was trying to think of a percentage. I'm going to guess at least 80% of your listeners. And I would love like, do they, is there a place they can comment in? Like, I will have an Instagram post for this episode so they can post there. Yeah. So post like comment Mm -hmm. because it's good for us to understand that we're not, you're not the only one. Like Mm -hmm. really is an important share. Like I know you talk a lot about breastfeeding and it's really helpful to hear from other moms that are struggling with the same things And this is the same thing, like this social isolation and not feeling like you have people that you really feel connected to is very common, more common than we think and more impactful than we think. It's so hard. And I don't know, I'm going to make a gender thing here too, but I think for most women, it hits even harder. When I had my third child, I remember my doula telling me, that I needed to, especially when it's all, they're all men here, boys, that I needed to have 20 minutes a day with another female, like in physical mm. proximity. I, mean, I don't get that. Yeah. When I haven't for long periods of time, I always remember that she told me that mm. women need that women need at least 20 minutes a day with other women, adults, mm. not your like six-year-old daughter doesn't count. You know, if you have a mm-hmm. six-year-old daughter, like I do a six-year-old daughter and then two boys adult. and a husband. <laughs> yeah. They're adult women. Yeah. That is really interesting. And I'm thinking even just my audience in general, when I took this quiz, all of my results were in the twenties. So I'm like, oh, I got this, but I'm like kind of in all of them. And I wonder if there's something unique to also being a new mother, because suddenly you do have we say like, oh, you know, if you're listening to this on a smartphone, like your fundamental needs are met, but like, are they, <laughs> did you sleep more than three hours last oh, night? Wait, who says that? Like, yeah. Oh no. I, I think I don't that, agree. yeah, for yeah. sure. No, that doesn't mean you, you slept yeah. well, you ate a balanced, you know, yeah, exactly. last five days, like you weren't mm-hmm. just like 
dinosaur chicken fingers yeah <laughs> or on plates right mm. and whatever leftovers because you're like oh shoot yeah. I'm starving you know yeah. or, or just binge eating at night because you're just wanting mm-hmm. like pleasure and you're just like okay I'm gonna dip into this and like eat the whole freaking thing because it feels good in the moment and because you might be hungry because you're breastfeeding you didn't eat enough throughout the whole day and now right like but a scoop of peanut butter and a boiled egg doesn't sound good so instead of that you're eating you know stuff that's actually not serving you or you know nutritious for your body yeah Yeah, because your body's smart and it's like I need the most bang for my buck here and if this is when we're sitting down to eat we're gonna sit down and eat yeah Yeah, it has even how I have cared for myself over three kids has changed a lot that I don't do that at bedtime anymore because I'm eating throughout the day but I do wonder if new moms are like I don't even know what type I am maybe I'm all the types and maybe you are because your brain is essentially reforming new connections in this life stage and you're not like you're literally not the same person that you were before you had a baby. And so I I was just curious when I took that. I'm not a new mom per se, but I'm still in the early years with my youngest. And there I I was like, surely this time I'll have it all down. And no, <laughs> I am an entirely different person than I was a year ago. <laughs> One other thing you were saying when you were explaining the fighter made me think about Brene Brown has a quote where she says, what do you think is the most terrifying emotion? And it's joy. Oh, that's interesting. And I think maybe that's not true for everybody, but I think that is very true for me is that sometimes you do, you are focusing on like, what can I fight for? Or what do I need to provide? Or what needs do I need to meet? And you can't just be there enjoying the joyful moments. I think that's where it's interesting to delve in just with the therapy background of what, why, what is scary mm-hmm. about that? What has your body learned, you know, and, you know, doesn't trust that, you know, is there a distrust there? Is there a fear? What brings that up? And I remember when I was, this is like a weird example maybe, but when I first came out with stretch marks, the first book, and I wanted to do a book talk and I wanted to start speaking more and people were saying like, oh, do this, do Toastmasters where you go and you do a two minute speech and you sit in like a church basement and you practice and blah, blah, blah. And being a dynamo, I was like, that sounds like way too slow. There's, I don't want to spend two years doing two minute speeches in church basements. No. And I read Marie Forleo's book. What is it? Figure outable. I think something like that. And she talks about how like, okay, when you go on stage, yes. So your, you know, your heart rate's going to go up. You might sweat a little, you might, you know, mix up some words. You're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel uncomfortable for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever your speech is. The duration is like, but you're not going to die. You can survive that. Like what's the worst thing? You're not going to die up there. And it's, for whatever reason that hit me. And I was like, oh, I can be uncomfortable and sweaty for 30 minutes because until you, and then when you do that and you're like, oh my God, I didn't even look that uncomfortable and sweaty. And then the next time I didn't even look that uncomfortable and sweaty. And then that, you know, and then I'm speaking in front of huge audiences, you know, just a few months later and it's fine. And, you know, when they talk about this with musicians a lot where, you know, there are musicians that still like throw up before they go on stage, (laughs) they've just shifted their mindset into like, this is just the excitement because right. It's the physiological response 
of fear is excitement is very similar. So mm-hmm. it's able to interpret it differently and say, I'm just really excited. I'm just so excited. You know, just like how people can't sleep before their first day of school. Mm-hmm. You're like so excited. You could also say, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. But instead, if we said, I'm just really excited about it. And that, that takes a little bit of work to get to that shift. But once you know, once I shifted that for myself, I was like, yeah, I don't have time to go do two years of Toastmasters. I want to get on stages now because I'm already, I was like 45 at that age. And I was like, I don't have time to waste. Like I'm not a 20 year old building this business and wanting to reach out and help as many moms as possible. I'm I'm in my mid forties now, and now I'm in my late forties. And I'm sure as hell glad that I did that, or I wouldn't be coming out with my second book now. Yeah, I I have so many things that I'm thinking about as you say that. There's a Moira Rose quote that I'm trying to you. Did you watch Schitt's Creek? Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's a quote in the last season where she said, worry is just undernourished enthusiasm. And it, (laughs) in like the Moira Rose voice that I'm not going to try to do. But that like really stuck with me. Under undernourished enthusiasm. So yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. And it's funny because my midwife said something very similar to that in my third pregnancy and my third trimester. I started having a lot of anxiety and I didn't really know why. And there were probably a lot of reasons in hindsight, but she did say, like, are you is it anxiety or are you? really excited and she said there is a really fine line between the two so I have and I've thought about that a lot way to look at it too because there's no like okay look in the back of the book and there's a right answer oh yeah. no it was worry who cares at the end of the yeah. day if thinking about it as excitement helps you mm-hmm. makes you feel better has you re- release some of that negative energy then mm-hmm freaking cares. Yeah. Just- and it can be both. I mean, I think it's probably pretty normal to be both, especially in a situation like that. But yeah, I think practicing those things in a safe place makes a difference. And then way back from what you were saying was maybe think about the concept of being present. I think a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, they're only little for so long and we don't want to miss it and we got to be present. And I was kind of just struggling with that during a craniosacral therapy session who she was basically like a second therapist I loved her but just saying like I need to be present because he's growing so fast and he's my last baby and she said first of all it's not really in our nature to be present in every single moment because like for the unpleasant ones like do we truly want to immerse ourselves in that feeling for a long period of time like no it's going to be natural to pull back and this was a season in which I'm dealing with the colicky baby food allergies like waking up every hour like do you really need to like revel in that fourth nighttime wake up (laughs) probably not (laughs) but she did say like kind of cultivating the power of attention on like that one pleasant moment. And I think that's kind of going back to what you're even saying with the nighttime thing, like just pick, it's not, you're not silver lining the whole rest of the day, but I can say like, oh, this one moment, my baby fell asleep in my arms and like his little knuckles are so chubby and soft. And I'm like, okay, I can be present in this moment. And that is safe and that's enjoyable. And that's what I want to remember from today. Yeah. I do. I'll do a thing where, because I have trouble getting into the present moment and I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll find a moment like that, the one that you just described. And I'll say, 
there's no other place in the world I'd rather be than right now. And now I'll have moments like that. And I'm doing all sorts of different things, you know, <laughs> like listening to music, driving somewhere and I'm by myself in the car or reading to the boys at night or going to bed at night, you know, like any, anything, or I'll be at a dance class and I'll say, oh my gosh, like there's no other place I'd rather be in the world right now. And that really helps me not only get into gratitude, get into the present moment, but it helps me realize like how much good stuff we have and in our lives that often, you know, the things we focus on, like if you ask yourself in the last year or in the last three months, like what were your favorite moments that come to mind? They're not often like, oh, that I took a two-week vacation. I mean, who of us took a two-week vacation, but <laughs> they're not often what you think they're going to be. They're those little moments like you just mentioned. And so when we can focus on those when they're happening, then man, that just amplifies so many, you know, positive, it's just a massive self-care practice. I think that's so beneficial. And I think it's interesting that those moments often incorporate your other senses and not your thinking brain, because I do have to close my eyes and like, because we also, we whip our cameras out for everything, like totally guilty. Oh, I want to remember this. I'm going to take a picture. You're like less likely to remember it when you take a picture. And I don't know if you used to watch Friends, but there was that episode I'm where- obsessed. Are you Okay. Kidding? Yeah. Same. So it's like my comfort show. Was it Phoebe's boyfriend who was like, like- this is a beautiful moment in this ballroom <laughs> and he's like click <laughs> and it's funny but I think about that almost oh my gosh who I know it's totally he was fantastic at it he was in 30 rock yeah um, I his name just Baldwin, went Baldwin? was it one of the Baldwin? Yes, Alec Baldwin okay Alec Baldwin. okay <laughs> so he did amazing character but I think about that daily like click yeah and we utilize Charlotte Mason in our homeschooling and she talks about this I mean a hundred years ago but this power of attention like okay close your eyes picture it in your mind's eye feel it like okay feel the weight of your baby's body like resting on your chest like feel how smooth their skin is like smell the smell those are the things you remember not not the facts of it right yeah, it's so true. Oh. I like <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I need to, I'm sure there's a meme of that somewhere that I can share for I I'm getting old enough that sometimes people are like, no, I have not watched friends. Like I don't have a frame of reference for this conversation anymore. <laughs> it's so sad. I know I tell stories about friends all the time. I love that. I think it was when you were talking about even the friends that you kind of have made now. And it's like are you cultivating that? Probably, but also like, these are the things you're paying attention to. You're paying attention to these things. And even with the small moments, like you're paying attention to the small moments. You're not cultivating a perfect day or a perfect group of friends, but you're paying attention to the qualities in this person that you like. And you're paying attention to the little moments that you do want to remember and not like all the hours of crying that happened in between that moment. Exactly. And it's not a putting your head in the sand. It's because we're, you know, we're inordinately, we're wired, right? To notice mm -hmm. threats, to notice mm -hmm. of the negative things in life because of it's a survival mechanism, right? So it's not saying ignore everything bad in your life and just put your head in the sand. It's saying you need some balance because we all tend to lean towards 
the negative and noticing because we're wired that way. So we have to balance that out by purposely focusing on what is good. What do you like about this person? Yes, you're annoyed with your husband. Let's just spend five minutes like thinking of the 12 things that you really do love, appreciate, admire, respect about him. You know, okay, it's a little bit more balanced now. Now you can go to sleep without that like angry, resentful feeling in your stomach. And that's going to help you because you're going to be able to sleep better. Yeah. 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 I love this conversation. I think that we have covered so much. And I think like we're saying this, the senses and your attention and how you're coping with things. I mean, it's also intertwined and new moms, I think are even more wired to pay attention to the risks. I mean, we have that hypervigilance wired into our new mom brains for the sake of our babies, but it's easy to continue that way of thinking. When I look back at my first baby, like I was in that mode for a very long time. And with each subsequent baby, I've been able to shift out of it sooner because it's like, okay, but now like he's one, I don't need to worry about SIDS or, and there's always going to be an infinite number of things to worry about with your children. But I think that there's a point where we have to take ownership of like not focusing on the worst case scenario. Very true. Yeah. So do you have anything else that you want to like wrap up or throw out before we kind of talk about actually when your book is coming out and things like that? We can talk about that. I mean, I know you had one, you had a breastfeeding question and I only had, oh yeah. I had one comment on that since I know it's something you talk about a lot. I actually, the first thing that came to mind was a story of how I didn't really struggle with any breastfeeding issues. I didn't have a ton of milk. And so I didn't end up breastfeeding for a super long time. What in my mind was a super long time with each Mm -hmm. of the boys, but I did breastfeed them. And I remember with my first, a friend of mine also had her first within, I want to say days. And I went over to visit her with, and I had my newborn and she had hers and I was like standing and talking to her. And at one point, you know, the baby seemed hungry. So I just pulled myself down and like kept talking to her and like started feeding the baby. That was a traumatic experience for her. Mm. It was so appalled because she had been really struggling with the baby latching and she had to set up all these pillows and she had to do this and it was painful and it was an issue. And she had been dealing with this for me to effing come over and just be standing there and having a conversation with her and feeding the baby talk like, I had no clue. (laughs) I remember her mentioning it several times years Mm. later. Like that moment was embedded in her mind because it it was so painful, frustrating, whatever for her. And so for me, the lesson was, we never know what other people are struggling with. They may say it, they may not. And so just to be conscious of that, you know, if it's something that is going well for you, not that you have to hide your, you know, what's going or anything, but you could say, hey, this is going well, this over here is a hot mess. Cause often it is something that's super easy and going really well for them. I mean, they're dro- their baby weight is just dropping off. Like they like nobody's business and they're back in their same pants, <laughs> let alone four years later, you're still feeling like you have all this baby weight. You know, there's always something. But in that moment, being a little bit, when we were talking about compassion, just knowing in the back of your head that, you know, it's easy for us as moms to say, oh, look, 
she's not having this problem. What's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with my baby? You know? And so for me hearing later from her, how traumatic that experience was when I had no clue in the moment, because certainly I wasn't meaning to. No, you're you're feeding your baby. Yeah. It just didn't even occur to me because it wasn't something I was struggling with at the time. And it Mm -hmm. was for her. So that was the first story that came to mind when you, when I saw that question. on. Yeah, no, thank you. I do normally ask how early motherhood and breastfeeding went for you. And we just kind of jumped right into it. So I'm glad that you threw that in. And I feel like early motherhood is like rife with those kinds of situations, because like you said, nobody's going to be acing everything across the board there's just no way to know what is like because you might have another friend that's like man I have been struggling to breastfeed and to see you effortlessly latch your child like gave me hope you know there's no way to know and we just live in a world where you cannot please everybody (laughs) there is something unique to breastfeeding that is particularly a sensitive subject I certainly have lauded the benefits of breastfeeding and offended people never saying anything about how they chose to feed their child I mean it is a weird world to navigate (laughs) completely yeah yeah and it's hard to celebrate because you want to celebrate breastfeeding was extremely difficult with my first I had a situation almost on the opposite of that that every time we would go to church I would end up feeding my baby in the nursery and like 10 moms would come and go and feed their kid. And because my kid took an hour to eat every time and he was still barely gaining weight. I was just like, what is wrong with me? You know, but there's a friend's episode like that <laughs> yeah. where Rachel's giving birth, right? The women keep coming in and going yeah. out of the delivery and she's like, it's my turn. That's not fair. You yeah. <laughs> next one. So yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and so it's like we want to celebrate on the one hand the people who did struggle. And like I carried a for a bottle of formula around for like a full year. Like and in case of emergency bottle of formula, never ended up needing to feed it to him. We breastfed for over two years. Did I think that was gonna happen at two months? No way, but we did. And on the one hand, like totally worth celebrating. On the other hand, don't want to rub it in. So yeah. yeah. sensitive subject for people and Mm -hmm. you know hopefully it won't always be the case you know yeah and I think that you know like we're saying here just being willing to enter into that conversation with somebody else and understand can go a long way you know knowing that you didn't have ill intentions with feeding your baby when they were hungry (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) everybody is doing their best yeah yeah truly yes So what encouragement do you have for a mom who's listening, who feels like we're talking about like a totally different person now that they've had a baby, you're not sure if that's a good thing or not, you don't feel like yourself, everything feels out of control, what encouragement do you have? I would say break it down, take it day by day. When it comes to that kind of reaction, really taking it moment by moment, however close you need to break it down, like Okay, just this morning, (laughs) what am I doing? Am I doing something in there for myself? What's one thing I can do? Can I phone a friend, right? Can I get outside? Can I get dressed? You know, I Mm -hmm. brush my teeth before 10 a.m. Can I, you know, what is one thing I can do in this next section of the day to help me feel a little bit better? Like really break it down because otherwise it's far too daunting. And I think it's really tricky to jump out of the hole, but you've got to just start taking it one step at a time. That would be my biggest advice. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah, sometimes putting on real clothes, not even like hard pants. Yeah, I I almost, yeah. I'm like just putting on a clean pair of leggings is a win sometimes, let alone, yeah. But I feel so much better when I actually get dressed and brush my teeth, maybe put on a little bit of mascara and not that you have to do those things, but yeah. Right, but you find the one thing that like makes you feel good. Uh, I put on earrings today. Last Mm -hmm. podcast I did, I have three pairs that kind of look the same. And I was Mm -hmm. like, put on two different ones. Oh no. (laughs) I don't show the video, so no worries. Although (laughs) you look very cute today and your earrings match. So they match each other. Yes. So I like to ask everybody to it's so easy to focus on what we're doing wrong as moms or what's not going well or what's hard. So I always like to ask, like, what's working for you right now? Like a routine or a boundary or a habit, something you're doing right right now. I mean, I have 8 million things that I love to suggest to people. So <laughs> let me think of like the newest one that I've instituted for myself. So it used to be coffee walks, afternoon showers. This is what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Shower in the afternoon. Even if I'm already clean, it's not about getting clean or not clean or whatever. It's about unplugging because hopefully you don't have your phone in the shower. Mm-hmm. It's about grounding yourself with water. And it's about doing it in the mid-afternoon at or before the typical time when you start to be like, oh my gosh, it's only three o'clock. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? It's five hours till bedtime. <laughs> like right before or during that is when if you can get 10 minutes to just get naked get in the shower, maybe even use your super sense, put on a playlist of songs that lift your mood and just do that. And I started doing that where, especially with, if you homeschool your kids and then they're around all day and you just say, I'm going to take a shower, not a commission for the next 10 minutes. Everybody good. Good. Check on them first. I mean, that's one of the other strategies that I have, especially for homeschooling is, you know, proactive it like interrupt them before they interrupt you because like okay everybody's on task I'm gonna (laughs) and do this that's exactly (laughs) everybody's all of a sudden not on task they can feel the energy shift somehow yes you go proactively hey did you get a snack how's this homework going oh what are you drawing there blah 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 whatever it is boom okay mom's gonna do this then they don't feel the need to go find you and ask you a million questions at the last minute now I'm not saying this always works 100 (laughs) percent time I found it to be really effective so I would say afternoon showers yeah that's a good idea they there's this saying that you should always add water you know I like that whether for your kids but I think it's super true for moms as well yeah I think that's a great idea shower is a non-negotiable non-negotiable for me I know some people are like I haven't showered in five days and I'm always encouraging people to shower every day. Like you don't have to use soap. You don't have to wash your hair. I don't wash my hair every day, but you're right. There is absolutely, that's how I'm grounding before bed. Like again, it, even if the baby has to cry for 10 minutes, I'm on the only adult in the house. I'm going to shower because I sleep better. Yeah. And yeah, that's when I go plug my phone in downstairs. I'm done with my phone for the day. I'm taking a shower, like shifting gears. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a good tip. So tell us when your new book is coming out. So the book comes out June 6th. Okay. Um, so my website, you type in, oh, this is my anxiety style. I already ordered the book at Amazon or it's on target.com. Now it's on barnesandnoble.com. You can buy it on audible with a credit, like any of those things. 
then you put in your email address and I send you all these cool, like a guided meditation, according to your specific anxiety style, a Hmm. guided mantra practice specific to your anxiety style, like all the, and you can go do multiple anxiety styles too, if you want. Okay. Get all of these cool resources. So I encourage people, if these strategies that I've shared today, like are helpful to you and you'd like to understand the whole framework as I go into obviously much, much more detail in the book, I encourage you to go on wherever your favorite place is to buy books online and look up the unflustered mom and then go to my website, which is just my name, ambertrueblood.com and and get it there. Yeah, perfect. I'll link to all of those things. And I was going to publish this in June, but I can actually move it up to May so that people can get the pre-order bonuses. Yeah. And like you, I'm a very avid reader and I love books and I dream of writing a book someday. And um, if you ever need any support with that or like insights or have questions, it's one of the topics I love to talk about. Yeah, I will take you up on that. But, you know, one of the things about early motherhood is that I'm very sad that I have a pile of unread books over here. (laughs) So I like that your book is not the kind that you have to read from start to finish. You can open it up and use it as needed. So I think that's an appealing aspect of it for my audience as well. Where else can people find you online? Instagram is official Amber Trueblood and my website is ambertrueblood.com. I have a YouTube channel, Amber Trueblood. Everything's just my name pretty much. Perfect. (laughs) It's easiest that way. Yeah. Just look at my name and you'll find all kinds of fun stuff depending on what's your like go-to resource. I'm excited for you. I feel like I've heard a lot of authors talk about how a book is kind of like having a baby. So you're like in the third trimester, like the the end is near, but it's not close enough yet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Except for this one. Let's see. I started it three years ago. I had a lot of fun kind of learning and diving into these things with you. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Milk and Motherhood today. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to some of the things we talked about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends or leave a review to help other people find us here. As always, you can find me on Instagram at happy.mama.healthy.baby or on the internet at happymamahealthybaby.co. See you next time.